This morning we have the privilege of uh, welcoming our friend Aaron Keeker to our pulpit. Not a stranger to Grace Chicago Church, Aaron and his family, and they're all here. They take up almost a whole row. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> Aaron and Carrie and the kids were with us at a different season in their life when they worshiped with us at Holy Trinity High School. And then for a little while here, uh, before you left, you moved to Texas, and then you came back. Now you're in Palos again, not just teaching at Trinity Christian College, but provost of Trinity Christian College. When I was with Aaron at Class East recently, uh, he was in jeans, and I said, wow, you don't usually wear jeans at Class East. And then I said, uh-huh, now you're a provost. You look for opportunities <laughs> to wear jeans. He said, you got it, right? Aaron's been a faithful friend to Grace Chicago Church, and I might say a faithful friend to me, too. Uh, we've benefited from his ministry and his teaching here. Um, he's a voice of grace and mercy, and um, always encourages me and helps me to enjoy fully the riches of God's grace and wisdom. Um, our mission statement, though, is about 16 years old. It preceded uh, the church, as any mission statement should precede the forming of any organization, I suppose. Um, our mission statement is to, uh, Gray Chicago Church exists uh, to actively seek the good of individuals and the welfare of the city by embracing the good news of God's redemptive promise. That mission statement has guided us in every way and in every turn, although many times it's way behind the scenes. It's guiding our decisions about what we do with our resources. It's guiding our preaching and our teaching and the way we seek to, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, shape the life of our community. Um, and so, you know, next, next week at the benefit dinner, you'll hear you know, about six vignettes, very brief ones, and each one of them in different ways will talk about the warmth of God's hospitality that we experience here at Grace Chicago Church. And if I could put it this way, that doesn't happen haphazardly. It happens because our guiding star has always been that mission statement, which is called from a sustained theological and biblical reflection on Scripture. And so we thought that, you know, I talk about it a lot, Caleb talks about it a lot, some of the elders and deacons talk about it a lot, uh, but now we want to hear somebody else talk about it. So I've asked Aaron to preach, as he puts it, he's going to preach towards that mission statement today. So thanks for being with us, Aaron. Come on up. It's uh, really special to be here. It's always special to be here. Uh, this morning, in a particular way, uh, the two earliest up in our house were me and Addie, our six-year-old, who was baptized here. So we were talking about being baptized here. I said, the whole church stood up, Addie, and promised that they would care for you in God's name. And she said, do they still care for me? And it was a pleasure. Oh, I'm not putting that, that's rhetorical right now. But it's a pleasure to say, yeah, of course, they still care for you as they welcome children and indeed all people. They keep on caring. So this is a special place for us and for our family. 
And I am gonna try to preach towards that mission statement today, but only by giving you, I think, a story and an image from inside that story that's maybe just one angle in to what it might mean to actively seek the good of individuals and the welfare of the city by embracing the good news of God's redemptive promise. Just a story and an image from inside that story to carry us forward. First, let's pray and ask for God's help. Then we'll read the scriptures together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we belong to you. You, O Lord, have the words of eternal life, and there is no one else to whom we can turn. By your Spirit, open our hearts to the reading of your word, and shine upon us your light, lest we walk in darkness. Meet us by your Spirit, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's the right text in the bulletin, though it says it's Mark. This is actually from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to take just two liberties at the very end with a slightly different translation of, of two words, starting at verse 11. So you'll catch it if you're following along. Right in the middle here of Peter's letter to Christians living in the diaspora around about Rome, Peter says this, Come to Jesus, come to him, a living stone, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built together into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and sojourners to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the nations so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it might seem like an oxymoron to say, maybe you know the famous quote from the contemporary philosopher, Alistair McIntyre. Are there famous quotes from contemporary philosophers? Alistair McIntyre says this, I can only answer the question, what should I do? I can only answer the question, what should I do if I can answer the previous question, in which story or stories do I find myself? 
It's pretty good, isn't it? You could tweet it out with the new character limit, I think, on Twitter. You can only answer the story or the question, what should I do? If I can answer the previous question, in which story or stories do I find myself? That, I take, is maybe the fundamental question of our lives. That previous question, in which story are we currently living? Is there a story bigger than the story of acquisition, of getting things? Is there a story bigger than the story of national dominance or domination? Is there a story bigger than just one darn thing after the next until the weekend comes and then we gear up to do it all over again? What's the story in which we live? It's a fundamental question for our lives. It's usually implicit. And Alistair McIntyre would say, and I think he's right, that everything we do, whether we know it or not, is an implicit answer to that question. We act based on the story in which we think we find ourselves. Grace's mission statement says something about how we ought to act. That we should do this, seek the good actively of individuals and the welfare also of the city by embracing the good news of God's redemptive promise. And I want to, this morning, with you, give you a story and an image that I think maybe, just only in part, reverse engineers that mission statement to say, in which story does that make any sense? That people should gather together embracing God's redemptive promise to seek the good of each individual and the welfare of the city. In which story does that make any sense? You know, the Christian account of reality says that the story in which we live, of course, is the story that comes to its climax in the life and death and resurrection and ascension and hoped-for return of Jesus. That's the climax of the story and that the whole story is rightly interpreted by Jesus' life. But Jesus' story in the scripture is at home in a deeper and larger story still. His story makes sense only in a much bigger story. And as a quick aside, one of the invitations, the long invitations of Christian formation is that this narrative world of the scriptures, this world that tells us who we are and how we are and what story is true of the world, it's big and expansive and it is a sprawling story and it is a lifetime of engagement to let our imaginations be shaped by that long account so that we might imagine the world otherwise. We might imagine the world according to a deeper reality so that we might give answer to the question in which story or stories do we find ourselves? And there are so many threads through the scriptures that you can trace to come to the sort of bigger story of God, people, and the world. But here's one this morning that I wanna offer up to us. You've maybe already anticipated it as you heard the reading of Exodus chapter 19, and maybe you heard part of Exodus sort of ping again at the end of that reading from 1 Peter. One thread that the scriptures offer to us is a way of answering the question, what story is this that we're in? Is to offer us the story of Exodus-like liberation. The story of Exodus-like like liberation. You perhaps know that Old Testament story in its first iteration, God's people, Israel, languishing in Egypt. 
crying out for freedom and for justice. God of God's own accord liberating them in the Passover, rescuing them through the Red Sea, bringing them before Mount Sinai, telling them, you belong to me. Live like this. Giving them a new way of being human together in community, a law of justice and mercy, a law of generosity and gratitude. Taking them through a long wilderness sojourn where they are free but not at home where they are liberated, but not at rest. And then finally, into the promised land. This is the stuff of children's Bibles. These are famous stories of the Old Testament that kids do in Sunday school. But this story, this story in Exodus gets picked up by the rest of the scriptures as a way of thinking about what God is doing in the world. It gets picked up by the prophets when Israel is languishing again much later in exile. And the prophets say, God will do an act of Exodus liberation again. It gets picked up by Jesus in the Gospels in so many ways. One prominent way in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus in his transfiguration is discussing with Moses and Elijah about the text says the Exodus he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. It gets picked up in the book of Revelation where this Exodus-like deliverance becomes a way of talking about how God is setting all creation free to be what it was always intended to be. And it gets picked up in New Testament letters, in the epistles, letters that invite human beings to new life in light of Jesus. And they see the Exodus Exodus liberation as a pattern or a story in which to live. The story, the pattern of that story goes like this, a story that we're pulled into. We, too, have been liberated from slavery, slavery to our sin, slavery to ourselves. We've been liberated from our slavery to our own death through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We have passed through the waters of the Red Sea in our baptism, just like Addie was baptized up here six years ago. We, too, have been led through the water. By the Spirit, we've been gathered into a people and given a way of being human together, a way of mercy and peace, forgiveness and justice. And one day, we'll be at rest in the land of promise, The New Testament letters offer this to us as a way of understanding the story that we are a part of. But the critical part of the story, the chapter that we're in right now, is a chapter of sojourn. It's a chapter of sojourn. If you track with Peter, and we will in a moment, we're in this moment where, like the Israelites, having received God's pattern of life for their community, they wander for a long, long time in the wilderness. They are free, they are no longer enslaved, they are liberated, but they're not yet at home. They're not yet at rest. I wonder if in your Christian life, in your day-to-day life, you've ever felt like that, home less, or rest less, I have. First Peter sees 
that experience of homelessness, of restlessness, of sojourning together at precisely the place right now where we meet one another and where we come to meet God. And Peter uses that story to help us understand who we are and what we should do, the story of sojourning. He takes us there right from the very beginning of the letter when he writes to the sojourners who are in the dispersion, who have been chosen and destined by God, sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood. So I just want to think with you for a few minutes this morning about how this story of Exodus liberation in and through Jesus and this sojourning in our own lives can help us make a little bit of sense about the story in which Grace's mission is at home. How is that a mission for those who have been liberated but who now sojourn together? Those who are free but not yet at home. Those who have been delivered but are not yet at rest. So to get there, let's think about this image a little bit. Sojourner, wilderness wanderer. It's a word we don't use too often, save maybe for in good blues music or good folk music, this sojourn that we experience, this sort of temporariness, this sort of on-the-wayness, this sort of pilgrim-likeness that says we're in the right spot for now, but it's not where we're meant to be. What does it mean to be in a story where we're in between deliverance and rest? What does that mean? The Old Testament gives us some really interesting clues in the story of the original wilderness sojourn because the wilderness, you know, is a place of danger in a place of confusion. And if you read those old, old stories, you will read those stories of danger and confusion. It's not necessarily a hospitable place. And there, where the Israelites are free but not at home, they are not at home, but in those stories of Exodus, it is the life of the community that gives them a home. They don't have houses yet, but they have a people already. There in the wilderness, God gives them on their way through a pattern of life that's marked by justice and mercy. There in the wilderness, God teaches them how to host his presence. There in their sojourn, God says, I will come and dwell right in the middle of you. And my dwelling with you will give you a home together. And so they become a home for one another and a house for God. There in the wilderness, the community becomes a place that receives and shares God's provision. God gives to them. Do you remember the story? The bread from heaven, manna. Every morning they gather it. Every morning they gather it and God keeps on sharing, teaching them already the prayer of Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread that we prayed earlier. But there in the wilderness, they share God's provision together. The sacrificial life of the community is a life of sharing with those who have little. And there in the community, they become a home not just for one another, but they become a home for the homeless aliens that are around them. If you read the pattern of life that God offers in the Exodus, he keeps on saying that those who want to join with you, bring them in. Bring them to the table with you. And in so doing, in this place of homelessness, on this sojourn, God's spirit creates a home for God's people 
and indeed for all who would come. And as Exodus picks up these stories, it's that this people is not just for their own sake, but God starts pointing to them and saying, you in this pattern of life, you with your family practices, you will shine to the world an image of what God is like. You, as you share, will show the generosity of God. You, as you do justice, will do the generosity of God. You, as you welcome strangers, will do the hospitality of God. And there on this sojourn, people who are free but not yet at rest find themselves strangely, restlessly at home. And home in a way that makes God's life known to one another, to the world outside the boundaries of their community. If Peter were answering Alistair McIntyre's question, in which story or stories do we find ourselves, he would say, we are in the story of the God who is liberating us in an Exodus-like liberation. Through Jesus Christ, indeed, we have been liberated. But now we sojourn for a little while. We pass through together for a little while. Listen to the way Peter, in the reading from chapter two, takes us into this Exodus imagination. Like those Exodus sojourners, we too, Peter says, are being built together into a home for God and for one another. Come to him, a living stone, rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built together into a spiritual house. Be built together, sojourners, to a place where God dwells. God teaches us still how to host God's presence. In fact, we encountered it. We encountered God's presence at the table moments ago. But like those Exodus sojourners, we too are being given a new and larger family. You, the text says, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, now you're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. What a wonderful couplet, the mercy of God, this people making mercy. On our sojourn, giving us a new and larger family. And like those Exodus sojourners, and here's the third thing, we too are drawn into a pattern of life that is for the good of the world. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and sojourners to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against your lives. Conduct yourselves honorably among the nations so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. You see, for Peter, just like in the wilderness, God is giving us to one another as a way. This is a way that God gives gifts to the world. This coming together of God's people in love and forgiveness, and mercy and grace is a way that God gives God's gifts to the world. And God gives Peter to these sojourners also a way of living together that is for the sake of the world. And here, even perhaps especially for enemies, Live together in your sojourn in such a way 
as though even those who do not understand what it is you are doing in this shared life might be unable to not say, that is good. There is something good. There is something good about that way of being human together. So back to Grace's mission. I can only answer the question, Alistair McIntyre says, what should I do if I can answer the previous question in which story or stories do I find myself? How does a story of Exodus-like liberation in and through Jesus Christ and as Peter paints it, this image of sojourning together, how does it help us tiptoe towards the question, so what should we do? Or put another way, for a community like Grace in the story of God and people in the world, how do you actively seek the good of individuals and the welfare of the city as you sojourn? How do you do this in the midst of this story and audacious maybe, but here are two modest suggestions. And I think they're suggestions I actually just learned here over the years. So this comes out of the fruit of our life of worship here. Keep on building a home for sojourners here. I think that's one thing that Peter calls us to. Keep on building here a home for sojourners because nobody thrives in the wilderness alone. Our home, as Peter sketches it, is our relatedness to and our lives for and with one another. Our home, as Peter sketches it, is a place where God lives. And this is a call, I think, for grace to keep on striving towards this life of devoted community which can be so beautiful and so good, but also, of course, so imperfect and so awkward, can't it? As we try to stretch towards one another, it's often so awkward. There is a line in uh, the great novel, The Brothers K by David James Duncan. If you like baseball and haven't read that novel, read it. It is, among other things, the story of a strained and straining relationship between a father and his sons, his oldest son especially. And there's this moment in the story where I think we see something of what Bob was talking about when he said, these are friendships not of affinity, but friendships born of the table of God, Christ's gathering. There's this moment where all of a sudden the father and son who are in the middle actually of religious disputation find themselves surprisingly in an embrace and the author says, the father and son were suddenly hugging each other. They got an awkward grip, maybe from being so close to the same size. But they didn't let go. They kept trying. Keep trying to build a home for sojourners here when it's easy and wonderful, when it's awkward and unlooked for. Keep trying. This will be God's gift to us and to others. Because in our sojourn, we all need a home. So keep building a home for sojourners here. And here's a second thing. Keep on doing audacious deeds of beauty and love. You know, in the Christian story, most of the deeds of beauty and love are quite small. 
welcoming a child, washing some feet, sharing a meal. These are not grab hold of political power, deeds of beauty and love. Even Jesus' own life, just one nearly anonymous and criminalized death, a small thing taken up by God in power. Christians have almost always been in a position where in the midst of cultural structures and powers, they must do deeds of beauty and hope that are small, but audacious, and audacious because they point beyond themselves to a different story. Audacious because they only make sense in a story different than the one most folks think is operative. How does a place as small as Grace do what Grace's mission says, seek the welfare of the city? This is a small place, and it is a big city. But perhaps as sojourners, the call is not to once and for all solve and rectify injustice, but to do those deeds of beauty and love that give flicker of light to God's world that show what the household practices of the people of God look like, and so to keep on drawing others in to this home for sojourners. Do you know this poem by Wendell Berry? It has a great title, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. Isn't that great? You wish you could have thought of that. I wish I could have thought of that. In this poem, Wendell Berry talks both playfully and quite poignantly about deeds of hope. My notes say deeds of hops. That sounds good too. Deeds of hope that only make sense in a much larger story. Listen to a few selected lines, but then later today, read it and put it on your mirror. Berry says this, so friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world, work for nothing, take all that you have and be poor, love someone who doesn't deserve it, ask questions that have no answers, invest in the millennium, plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest, which you, will, which you did not plant and that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, even though you have considered all the facts. Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest to your thoughts. And as soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark a false trail, the way you did not go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Barry, that delightful poem, calls us to audacious deeds that only make sense in a different story. Plant a sequoia, for crying out loud. As sojourners liberated by Jesus, friends, keep doing audacious deeds of beauty and love, and keep building a home here for all sojourners. I hope you can hear in these two suggestions deep good for a gathered community, but also deep good for communities round about, 
those towards whom grace's mission and the gospel itself call us to actively seek the good of individuals and the welfare of the city by embracing the good news of God's redemptive promise. You hear in those suggestions a claim that it is never us or them. The gospel doesn't work that way. The story of God is always us for them. Or better yet, in this story, it is always God for everyone by being for and with us. That is the story. The secret of this Exodus liberation, both in the Old Testament and as the scriptures pick it up and offer it as a pattern for human life with God now, the story of a new and larger family, the story of hoped for home and rest, the story of all creation made new, the secret to that story is that our greatest good and the good of the other, even, and maybe especially our enemy, are never two separate goods. I think that's what grace's mission is pointing us towards. Our own deepest good and the good of the other are never two separate goods. But God's sojourning people are always gathering together before God for their own good and for the good of all creation. This important birthday for grace My prayer is that God would keep on pouring out his spirit on this community so that this place keeps on embracing God's redemptive promise so that for each individual gathered here, God would be able to pour out his good gifts through the community so gathered and so that the city so loved by God would see and experience flickers of God's light and hope The one danger, the one danger for those sojourners in the wilderness was that they would wander off on their own and lose heart. Just don't do that. (laughs) Just stick together. Don't lose heart. Don't abandon the home that God has created. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O Lord. Would you, by your Spirit's mercy, bless this community and all communities gathered in your name, that these families might be home for us and hope for the world. We pray through Christ our risen Lord. Amen.